0: Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris.
1: Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me here on the Talent Talk Radio Show. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. We have a great lineup of guests uh, today, and I hope you're looking forward to hearing all our great guests throughout the rest of the year uh, as we get to them here one week at a time. So the way the show works is we feature a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture, and In the business world, talent really has a couple different meanings, and we look first at how it relates to success and how really talented people achieve success, and second, we look at how talent relates to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates for their companies, and of course, keeping them, motivating them, and making their companies grow because of them. So this show really looks to explore those two areas, along with how talented individuals impact a company's culture, which is always something that I'm fascinated about. So, the guests on the show typically include uh, CEOs, HR executives, entrepreneurs. Seems like we get a lot of people who are carry one, two, or even three of those titles sometimes, but all sorts of different business leaders, authors, coaches, consultants, wh- wh- people who have a great uh, insight and experience from all different types of industries. What usually happens is I get to meet these people at different events, or conferences, and I have the privilege of try to strong on them here on the show here and we try to create this form to allow you to listen on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice on how to cultivate talent and develop those leaders and, and manage the culture that you're overseeing so hopefully yes will also impact your own career in a positive way because that really is the number one thing is we want our listeners to take away some great advice and insights on how they can improve the parts of their company that they have control over so I want to thank those of you tuning in live here every Tuesday. If you have any questions for our guests, don't forget you can submit them uh, via Twitter. You just tweet at PeopleG2, use that hashtag Talent Talk. My producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions, and we'll work through them in the show as the time allows. Also, feel free to send us uh, other suggestions, maybe questions you would like us to ask or topics you'd like us to cover. And, of course, if there's a a guest out there you think we ought to have on the show, then let us know that. You uh, can also get the show via podcast. It's actually how most people interact with the show. They subscribe to that feed on iTunes or Android, and they join the other 140,000 subscribers that we have uh, tuning in each week. We thank uh, those of you who take the time to listen, uh, wherever that may be, in the car or at the gym or soccer practice. If you're listening to the podcast, we thank you. So let's go ahead and get today's show started. My first guest is Mafalda Halligan, uh, the founder and president of River Run HR. And my second guest will be uh, Scott Shane. He's the Managing Director of Talent Acquisition and Staffing at uh, MUFG uh, Americas. So let's go ahead and get started here with uh, Mafalda. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much. I'm so glad to be
1: here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background in HR, and of course your your current company that you founded, uh, River Run HR.
2: It's funny because I actually got started in the hospitality industry working with Starwood Hotels and Resorts. And um, I stayed in the hospitality industry after I left Starwood. But I made a decision some point after that to go into the consulting world. And uh, the reason for that is because I was trying to identify which industry I was really passionate about. Um, In working in consulting, I just realized that I really had more of a passion for that because I had more exposure to work that – basically had some really long-term impact on the clients we had and uh, from there I, I just happened to work with somebody that I took on as a mentor my mentor and she really urged me at that point that eventually it would be a good idea if I tried to go off on my own and ironically some years later after I had my first child I made a decision to start Project HR and you know stuck to it you know what I didn't expect was that at some point in that progression that i was offered uh basically uh somebody approached me about buying the firm and i took advantage of it so back in november of last year i decided i really missed doing consulting and you know um wanted to focus on doing that again so i came back into it and so i started river run hr uh two different firms uh the first one from the second one um, but really still feeds into to what i really enjoy doing which is human resources
1: so, do you feel like maybe initially you were a reluctant entrepreneur?
2: I would say yes it wasn't something that um, I went into doing, and I think that was part of my upbringing in a sense you mm-hmm. know um i didn't I wasn't born in this country I was born in um in portugal and You know, coming here as a first-generation immigrant, it was kind of ingrained in you that, you know, you go to school, you get a good job, and you stay in that same job for 25 years or 30 years, and then you retire. And the idea of going off and starting your own company or starting your own business or or being entrepreneurial um, was really something that was very foreign to me until I I, I got out of college and started to just meet a ton of people that Mm -hmm. were entrepreneurs.
1: Well it's sort of the, the very simple version of the Rich Man Poor Man books is you know mm-hmm. you know, you go out there and, and you're supposed to work hard and work for somebody else and you know, you yeah. do your forty years and get your retirement and then you know, you're probably gonna be too old and tired to enjoy it, but that's when you're supposed to enjoy it. And right. you know, and then the, the, the opposite of that is figure out what people like and find something you're passionate in and go do it yourself and enjoy your enjoy those those things now and I'm sure that over the last 14 years, maybe there's been some changes that have come about in your field, but those things I'm imagining there has to be some excitement there. There has to be some passion there for you to have wanted to do it anyways and to to, to continue to do it and not kind of fall back into, you know, working for somebody else. So uh, as that has gone along, have there been areas that have, that have been a concern for you as you've kind of been gone through this journey?
2: I think in terms of concern, Concern uh, for me has been God. I try to focus on the positive, obviously. Right. But uh, in terms of concerns, it's the only concerns I sometimes see that comes up is is more of things that come up with legislation. When things with legislation come up that undermine, you know, um, the message or the culture or you know that get in the way of how a company can strategically grow and and develop their employees you know, obviously there's a lot of things that come up to, to go against that grain. You know, I even think of things like, you know, uh, legislation, you know, if a, if a company wants to provide certain benefits to their employees, you know, getting taxed the way that they do, it, those are really the, the big concerns that I see. Um, more overall, I, I really focus on some of the, the positives that have been made in, in the HR profession. And I really look at that and and I see it as having come a really long way.
1: Well, it's really fascinating you bring that up because what we're seeing here in California right now is there's been some changes in how you report sick and uh, I think vacation pay and and things like Mm -hmm. that. And so most HR departments, this is such a big deal for them on how they're going to do it. Are they doing it correctly? Is it being executed properly? they're having to spend so much time and energy based on this uh, this legislative decision and whether it's right or wrong I mean that's a whole other discussion but because right, it right. was done they have spending so much time and energy to do it which means they are now that's time and energy being taken away from other more strategic things that correct. maybe they could be doing for the company so you bring up a great point
2: mhm no that's absolutely correct so i think if i think about the better things that have come out of it um, it's been – there's so many other things that have come up that are just wonderful in the profession. I think in the last 14, 15 years that I've been doing this, I mean, when it's just gone from such a tactical um, place where this profession started to now being in such a more strategic place. So it is very frustrating as an HR professional. Uh, when you're trying to keep that momentum going and then you you know everybody's day is like that you walk into work you have a to-do list that's a mile long and sometimes you don't get to do it but when you have legislation that comes up and and now you're trying to figure out tactically well how are we going to achieve that while still focusing on the strategic arm of things is i think definitely a very frustrating thing
1: sure sure and i think um you know you brought up uh You're currently doing uh, work with uh, River Run HR, your company, but you had had a previous company that a project HR. So maybe you could give us a little bit, you know, uh, what were some of the things that you were able to achieve there uh, in that venture, sort of kind of your first entrepreneurial, you know, setup? So what were some of the the good successes there?
2: I think some of the good successes there were that, you know, um, I went into it really, you know, and I still do with the intention of, like, I generally just want to be here to help your company and, you know, help it get to the next level and how can we do that. And most of the focus in that company, uh, primarily the focus in that company, was on the operational capabilities of the company, you know. Um, coming in, doing an assessment, telling them, okay, these are some of the areas where you need to improve and get better, and we're going to basically help you get there, and whether that's through technology, through implementing new handbooks, through, you know, job descriptions, whatever it is, but they were very, it it was a very tactical-based company in a Mm -hmm, sense, mm -hmm. you know, because it really focused on, you know, employers that had under 50 employees Employers that have been around for 30, 40 years, stable companies that really weren't going anywhere but just were still operating, you know, like they were in the 70s or 80s, basically. Right. And uh, so our focus was really in a market um, where we gave them a model that was affordable to them. Um, it still came in under, you know, whatever an administrative assistant would cost, but we basically helped them get to a place where operationally they were reaching excellence. Right, if, you know, so it was very successful in that way because there's a ton of people that needed that. River Run HR was very different um, because we focused more on strategic and really made it more about how we are a partner to you and we're going to affect your triple bottom line. So it was more of lessons learned from the first company and things that I had wanted to do differently, but, um, but really didn't feel like one had a lot to do with the other at the time.
1: Well, and as you just started that here recently, November of 2014, how, how, how is that going? You know, it's very early on. You're in that kind of hardcore entrepreneurial time when uh, you're starting a new business. So where do you see yourself right now in that process?
2: I would see myself in probably I'm past the early stages of, of hurt. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: And you know, I'm still putting in all the hours and you know, I'm still very very much at this point because it's still early stages involved in every single new prospect in the business development phase and the um in every client I'm I'm in there. I'm meeting with everybody. I'm very much heavily involved in um with every C-level suite from from the top all the way to the bottom you know and I want to try to keep it that way as much as possible in terms of you know like I said this new business model it's making it much more it's very practical um, because it does focus on the people the company's financial equity and its sustainability so um, with this company I've been much more involved with some of the clients in a much more intimate way where you know I'm attending a lot of you know some of their board meetings and really being a part of a, a Bigger conversation about where the company is going, so that's taking up a lot of my time right now because I'm really uh, putting in a, a vested interest in into each one of these companies' portfolios and where they're heading.
1: And know, I looked at your uh, LinkedIn profile, and there were a couple of things there that uh, were certainly fascinating that you know kind of speak to your entrepreneurial spirit that we've really okay. been focusing on here. So. The first is that you don't wait for orders, that you're comfortable in in your own skin and and as well as, you know, kind of being on the hot seat. So these are traits that would, you know, identify with really the anatomy of an entrepreneur that, you know, most people would kind of want or think need to be there for have a successful business. So can you share how you develop this type of outlook and, and, and how it drives you to be successful?
2: You know, Chris, I'd love to say I read a book about it and it just kind of clicked, right? Uh, but honestly, I think a part of it came from from an upbringing of you know coming from a military father who had really a Type A personality, and and then just a lot of the different places that I worked in from the time that I, I you know finished college were very sink or swim sort of work environments. And really having a lot of self-awareness in, okay, well, how can I be better? How can I do better? How can I, you know, get results in these sort of atmospheres? Because I'm not going to have somebody who's going to sit there all the time and basically give me orders or tell me what to do. Um, So it was really, I think, having the self-awareness and then doing something about it and making sure that in order for me to be successful, whether I'm working for myself or I'm working for another company, is being able to basically identify what needs to get done and how do I get it you know how do I do it
1: sure so does that type a military father you know upbringing is that is that where you get your distaste for winers
2: i yes i have to say it's um <laughs> i have a, a huge 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 distaste for winers you're right about that i think you know it, not everybody's perfect and winning is great if you can do it all the time but it's you know it, learning how to sometimes lose is also important you know nobody goes undefeated all the time i think there was a a quote about it some years ago that i heard and i think if you can learn how to um, focus on solutions and not problems and learn how to take action not sit around and and take responsibility for you know sometimes what the losses are um, and not making excuses it, it goes a long way i think a lot of the people that i've Worked with, and I've tried to surround myself um, that I feel have helped me become successful. Also, had that sort of mentality where, you know, when you when you surround yourself with other people who are whiners, I just don't feel like anything really gets done, and it doesn't really accomplish anything. So, if I look at a sum of the five people that I spend a lot of time with, uh, I make sure that they're not whiners.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, it's important to recognize that. You know, kind of the fact of life that we all don't win everything. We all don't, you know, do everything perfectly. And there are, you know, those things in there. Um, I, this doesn't always work for everybody. But I know for me, I sometimes will just say, you know what? I need to have five minutes. I'm going to have my pity party for five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and be upset or whatever. And then it's time to move. It's time to go on and start working. And what's the next thing? And, you know, you can't do anything else about it anymore. But I, I think to your point, if people sit and wallow in it for too long, and it starts to become their voice, right? It starts to become Mm -hmm. what they talk about and who they are constantly. Uh, You're pretty much driving all the best people who are around you away, uh, which is only going to make things worse.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, honestly, uh, you have to be able to learn from a negative experience. You just have to. And if you, all you do is dwell on it, especially as a leader, that team is just it's going to feed off of that same energy and then you just really stay stagnant or you're really doomed to repeat that same thing. And I mean, uh, sure, I, I have moments where I have that moment of self-pity where I'm like, yeah, damn, like, you know, that really didn't work out the way I wanted it to, you know, and that's what happy hours for.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: you hit happy hour, you wallow in it for like 10 minutes and then you feel good about it and you say, okay, I, I, I will not make that mistake again. What did I learn? And, uh, and don't make excuses. Uh, it's it's just, um, it's a rule of thumb for me.
1: Yeah. Well, I know with the work that you've done here now, I'm sure that you've had some opportunities, and I'm a, I'm just going to take a guess that you're walking either into a potential client who is doing great things and wants to keep doing great things, and wants your help in that, or maybe is not doing anything really right, and they need your help to kind of get them, you know. Um, on the right, on the right track. And I may be completely oversimplifying that, but maybe you might have some examples for us on some of the, some of those traits that you're seeing out there for those strong leaders. And some of those traits that you're seeing out there for those who, who aren't doing such a good job, you know, that kind of cause you to, to, to come in and and help.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I really, um, it's interesting because when you, when I do walk into a lot of these companies, you're right, I meet a lot of people. You know, I go into companies that, even the way they approach it, they'll say, you know, we need you in here for some damage control. And others will say, you know, we're at 25 employees in the next year. We're looking to grow this thing to over 100 employees. This is the vision, and this is where we want to go with it. And, you know, a lot of them are able to achieve that. And when I look at some of these leaders and some of the things that they all have that are consistent is that they they all have confidence basically they all know what they're talking about they and and they get that across you know that confidence it it exudes from them and they are not they're not doing it all themselves they're delegating it which is i think a huge sign of a strength and not a weakness for a lot of people delegating tasks they they they're not very good at it and i think the key to delegation is you know looking at people on your team and looking at the strengths and then capitalizing on that. And people that do that really well, I think, um, are very successful at what they do and, and very effective. I think another um, thing that I've seen where, you know, I've met leaders that are very good at what they do and, and accomplish things is that they're excellent communicators. They, they don't lack that. And and vice versa. When I walk into, I mean, just yesterday, I was, you know, doing an assessment on how to, um, you know, work on a culture uh, and building a culture for a client that I had. And I said to them, well, what do you think is lacking? And they said, well, there's a lack of communication from the top down, and then it just spreads like wildfire to everywhere else. So, you know, if I look at all of the opposite, I'm sorry, I'm here in New York City, so you're going to hear some.
1: Yeah, you're in New York City, you always get some sort of crowd or some kind of street noise, right?
2: <laughs> you're going to get some street noise in the background. There's no way around it. Um, but I think if I look at all the opposite things of what makes a successful leader successful, the opposite is what makes somebody not successful or not effective. Mm-hmm. And I think, in a way, one of the, the things that I noticed, final, like my final thought on on some of these successful leaders is that they all seem to have somewhat of a sense of humor. They don't take it too seriously. There's going to be days where, you know, things don't always go right. We, we just talked about that, you know, and it's not sitting there and wallowing and whining about it, but it's having, uh, it, it's keeping that confidence level up for yourself as well as everybody else on the team and, and really remembering to, to keep the feeling alive and, and keeping people working and keeping them moving forward and motivated. So, I mean, if I look at everything, everything, um, those are the things that I, those are my takeaways when I walk out and I say, yeah, you know, those are the things I'm learning from them.
1: Well, a sense of humor is one that I think people don't talk about enough. Being able for that leader to laugh at themselves, to laugh at a situation, to, you know, I- inject some sort of humanity into something that may be right. happening mm-hmm. is something that people don't talk about it's not something you can get training on it's kind of a you know i, I you could get training on it's something you, you know, could be a learned skill but it's not something we we ever teach anybody we expect them to come with it or to have it or, or if they have it they're, they're the ones who get promoted and get those jobs because mm-hmm. they they can do those types of things so it's a it's a fantastic point um you know and the other one about sort of the um looking at those different um ways in delegating i think Mm -hmm. um one of the kind of you you use almost as a test if someone had could take five minutes and do it themselves or they had to take 10 minutes to train someone the person who takes the five minute route over and over and over again is the one who just won't delegate because it is harder to delegate initially (laughs) yeah you know
2: i mean and if you measure the time, like okay, so you see it as a time saver that you spend those five minutes. But really, like you're a smart person. Over time, those five minutes become thirty, forty minutes. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, it adds up to a week after six months. When all it took was ten minutes to train somebody, follow up, and stay on top of it. And who knows, you know? And you're doing a lot more. You're motivating people. You're you're inspiring people to to, to basically do things and step outside the box to to basically do something that maybe they don't normally do either so i think it's not just good for you as a leader but it's good for the team
1: yeah and i know i've done a good job of delegating when they come back with something 10 times better than what i would have done you know and that's like, yeah. great now we're on the right track you know and that's reinforcing too to to make sure that you, know, you as a leader continue to do that so i know we're almost out of time here i want to make sure we ask you our favorite question and that is what are you reading right now
2: oh, okay uh i am reading uh a peter shankman book it's called zombie loyalists zombie uh,
1: loyalists okay
2: yeah it's basically just uh it's how to create rabid (laughs) customers right (laughs) i guess with all the zombie uh you know hoopla going on these days but it basically is a book that that gives examples on how to create customers that are loyal addicted and passionate and go out of their way to bring you new customers and uh and basically as a word of mouth. You know, a lot of my business all comes through word of mouth. I virtually don't do a lot of marketing for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, my credibility and earning my client's trust is extremely important. And the book has done, you know, it just gives me extra pointers or reinforces things that I haven't thought about in a very long time. They're practical.
1: Well, it sounds like a a good potential read for anyone out there that wants uh, loyal uh, customers, albeit the undead, but if uh, they want that, then... Uh, they can definitely uh, check it out. Uh, how can yep. people uh, get a hold of you or learn more about uh, River Run HR if they're interested in working with you?
2: You know, the best way to to get a hold of me is you know get on the website uh, riverrunhr.com. dot uh, com. There's tons of information, case studies on some of the work that we've done, and there's also an area where you can drop us a line or drop us a comment, and that's the best way to get a hold of me.
1: Momofald, well, I really appreciate you being on the show today. We've learned a lot, and we appreciate all your great insights.
2: Okay. Thank you so much for having me.
1: All right. Up next is uh, Scott Shane after this quick commercial break. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, if you have questions uh, for my next guest, you can send them to to Twitter at at PeopleG2, use that hashtag TalentTalk, and we'll try to work them in. You can also visit uh, TalentTalkRadio.com and uh, hear all the past episodes, if you want to do that from your web browser or or phone, if you don't want to use the podcast app, Uh, and we really appreciate all of you that are tuning in to uh, listen that way uh, or finding us, however you're finding us, we would appreciate it. My next guest is uh, Scott Shane, He's the Managing Director, uh, Talent Acquisition and Staffing for MUFG Americas. So, Scott, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Chris. It's great to
1: be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your company.
0: Yeah, well, as uh, as you said, Managing Director for the Americas, um, MUFG. Uh, we are headquartered in New York City. Um, and MUFG Union Bank is actually the combined entity of San Francisco-based Union Bank, as well as um, Tokyo-based Bank of Tokyo Mitsubishi. Um, In the Americas, we have about 14,000 colleagues um, serving customers and clients um, in the United States, uh, Canada, and throughout Latin America, providing services uh, including corporate banking, commercial banking, investment banking, retail banking, um, wealth markets, capital markets, et cetera. So full, full spectrum of services. But I fully recognize that MUFG uh, may not be a brand that are familiar uh, with a lot of the listeners. But so um, it might be interesting to note that MUFG is actually among the world's leading financial institutions or banks with over $2.3 trillion in assets. And we've been around a long time, over 350 years, about 1,100 locations in over 40 countries. So uh, one of the largest banks on the planet.
1: I'm glad that you broke it out that way because, although I would say probably at least half of our listeners are you know in the United States uh, that might be interacting with the, the institution as Union Bank, certainly we have listeners all around the world that you know some a different component or different piece of of the overall uh, you know a company they might be interacting with. Um, mm-hmm. But it's certainly a big company. Um, and, you know, we, and my my first interaction is obviously through Union Bank, but. A big organization. I did not know it was that old. That is a that is that is a got to be one of the oldest companies, you know, around at least that I know of.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, we have a very long and proud history. Uh, clearly, you know, based in in um, in Tokyo, in Japan, mm-hmm. and um, it's from that that we that we um, you know really build our our global brand identity um, and culture. Um, with over 140,000 colleagues you know, spread over those 40 uh, countries.
1: Wow, that's a lot of people to manage. And I imagine that there might be some really specific challenges that you deal with from the banking perspective when it comes to talent acquisition. Can you maybe talk about that for a second?
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> let's talk about that. Good topic, good segue. Uh, yeah, and so my focus being in the Americas, and most of our uh, town acquisition is is in the U.S. So, uh, and both on the on the East Coast and the West Coast, and um, you know, lots of challenges. And I think you know, probably right now, what comes to mind is, uh, for lack of a technical term, the job market is hot, and I mean hot. Unemployment is is hovering right around, you know, four five point three, five point four percent. The jobless jobless claims are at a you know, at a low that we haven't seen since ninety nine or two thousand. So, you know, in in a word, the job market is hot. And within banking, um, you know, I think this kind of bleeds into another challenge dating back to 2008 with the with the, the the banking crisis and you know in the years since there's been a lot of what I call bank bashing and reputational damage and so uh, you know the good news for for our brand for my brand in my bank is that we avoided a lot of the a lot of the um, the issues and challenges that a lot of our uh, that a lot of other banks face and so that played really well for us in terms of our employer brand and attracting talent to our bank, we were in growth mode for the last many years, um, and actually both organic and inorganic, you know, through acquisition, when a lot of other banks were, in fact, shrinking. And so, um, from a strategic point of view, we looked uh, to take advantage of those opportunities. So it's really, you know, kind of flipping the, the, the challenges, as you put it, into opportunities. And, and I just one more point on that is, I think, an extension that we're seeing right you know, currently in this very tight um, labor market, especially in the markets in which we compete for talent. I would highlight, um, you know, technology as an example. Um, and so there is a reputation, I would suggest it's misguided, <laughs> that being a, um, a technologist and, and working at a bank, is is not very appealing, and as opposed to, um, you know, the startups in Silicon Valley, and 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 the banks are, you know, honestly, when you look at some of the innovation that banks are driving in the technology space, it is enormously exciting. When we look at you know mobile banking and cyber cybersecurity, and so, but is is if you wanted to nail down a real life example of, of a Challenge. I think that would be one that, that I'm that I'm currently confronting.
1: Yeah, and it seems like that area of technology that getting great uh, technologists, if that's really a word, um, to work in companies that are not technology companies as their core. I mean, you guys are a banking. Company, not a technology company, albeit technology is driving and you're, you, wh- what's happening, and, and really a gigantic part of of the everyday, you know, kind of life cycle of what you go through. But it seems like those technologies want to go to a like you said, a technology startup, right? you are going to build the next app. They're going to do whatever, but. Companies are finding that challenge and trying to get those people to come in. And now you're, you're you're facing what you brought up earlier: this much tighter labor market. Far fewer people are out of work, and now you're really having to compete to get people to leave maybe what they, a job they may like, where they're making good money, to come and and maybe take a chance on, on on things that you're doing. So so this seems like a, a very uh, you know, kind of profound challenge, especially for someone who, as I can tell, started off as a CPA. So h- how do you go from a numbers guy to a people guy?
0: <laughs> I'm glad that you, yeah, that's, uh, I get asked that a lot because it, 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 does stand out. You know, it's, it, and that goes way back to my mentor when I was, I, I went to UC Irvine and,
1: Which we're um, right down the street a, from, so that's a, yeah, that's a good call. The, yeah, the
0: anteaters, yeah, that's the anteaters. right,
1: anteaters. anteaters. <laughs> um,
0: the I, I I I was very very fortunate. My mom actually worked at a Fortune five hundred company, and and she reported to the the chief human resources officer who was a who was a former partner at one of the big eight accounting firms. In this case, it was it was Arthur Anderson. And, you know, I just asked him to be my mentor, and he uh, agreed. Um, I was a big soccer player in my college day, and my, it, it, I, was, I was going to be a professional uh, athlete. Of course, that did not pan out, and so I was looking for other alternatives. And my mentor really helped and guided me, but one of, the, you know, the advice he gave me then, which was many, many years ago, I still give today in my role as a mentor um, to many people, and that's that you know how you've got to build your brand scott you know what is your brand and and so once i decided kind of declared my major in my professional life as being i wanted to be an hr professional okay but i needed to back when i graduated it was a recession and there were not a lot of jobs and so i had to be sure that i distinguished myself among a lot of other people competing for very limited jobs and so one way to do that was to be a business professional first and an HR professional second. So lead with business, follow with HR, and that's what I did. And so the advice was to, um, early in your career, get on the path to become a CPA, which would demonstrate that you know how to read an income statement and a balance sheet, you know how businesses make money, and then drive your career into human resources, which is exactly what I did.
1: Oh, well, that's fascinating, and that's seems like a lot of the people that we talk to that are, have been successful have a particular background in one area, but end up in somewhere else because it has a good synergy, it has a good fit, as opposed to that very traditional line of thinking, which is go get your degree in the exact thing that you're going to go want to go do, and then try to live in that world forever, uh, which doesn't seem very practical, but it's sort of that common, you know, understood knowledge that that people seem to have, you know. So I, I'm imagining now, you know. So you, you brought up early, you did this giant global company, you're in 40 different countries, you have 140,000 people, you know, amongst the, the, all those different locations. So how do you even begin to try to maintain any sort of corporate culture and identity as a whole and then, and then maybe possibly allow pockets of, of these kind of subcultures where it needs to happen, you know, based on regional or, or divisional needs?
0: Yeah, what a what a great question, um, it, it, and I think it's a it's a profound challenge, um, especially here in the twenty first century. And I work very closely with with our chief marketing and communications officer. the the uh, I, If I were to anchor in anything in terms of of, of answering your question, I would anchor in values. And, and then closely followed by vision. And then what I would say for our organization, and I think most global organizations, which is critical is to have you know, a really compelling global vision anchored in values, your core values as organization, and communicated in a very compelling way and, and lived by, by the, and modeled by the leaders and all of our 140,000 colleagues and then measure and track to make sure that, in fact, we are delivering on our promise, and that you know values. If you look at the word values, you know, it's a, in my view, a public declaration to our current employees, our future employees, our customers and clients of what we value. Mm-hmm. And so, if we're not living our values, we have an enormous disconnect. And so. Through things like our our annual global engagement survey, we we track and measure to ensure that we are being effective and that everybody, all 140,000 of our colleagues, can clearly articulate our vision, which I love and let me just share with you, is to be, and and keep in mind we're a bank, um, is to be the most trusted financial services company in the world. I mean, and, and so that's a pretty, in my view, courageous vision for a bank to to declare publicly. But that is our vision. We've always been a very healthy bank. We've always been a very grounded bank, a very disciplined bank, a very financially prudent bank. Um, and so that all ties very nicely with our aspiration to be the to be the world's most trusted financial group. And then, and then again, we had to ensure that our values do in fact support that.
1: Well, that's got to be an uh, incredible challenge because. At your very core, a bank's sort of you know basic job is to hoard money, right? So, <laughs> and so you, you you kind of start off on a negative foot, or at least in in, in, in not in the correct perception that you want and what you want is to be trusted what you want is to be a partner and of a, a value to the, to your clients or else you can't then do that secondary part you can't control that money and, and help them make good decisions and to have that backbone and have that savings and all those great things that, that banks provide people so that, that's got to be a, a pretty incredible challenge now Great. I really love that you were able to, to to recite that value statement. Do you think that, you know, the average uh, teller or customer service agent who's, you know, a few months into the job, would you expect them to be able to, to recite that as well? Is that a part of, of what you guys are really striving for?
0: Without a doubt. And and we expect it and we know that they can because, as I mentioned earlier, we, we, we track it. We ask the question um, in our engagement surveys. And so it, it's – in my view – there's nothing more important because your people are, in fact, your brand. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my my role as the head of recruiting for the Americas is, is to make sure that we are hiring the talent that can deliver the promise that we make to our customers and clients. And so when we interview, assess, and select talent, we are interviewing against a specific set of criteria, not the least of which... Is our core values, right, as well as our core competencies.
1: And I know that you're you're sort of viewed as someone who who works as a team builder, and it sounds like that's a, a you know what's kind of coming through to me really feeds into that overall idea. So maybe you could kind of explain to us how you approach or how you're able to get a team to really work together and be focused on. You know, a singular goal or a singular set of goals, whatever it may be, versus you know that typical thing where everyone has their own agenda, is out to you know maybe get farther in the organization or get their things what they find important to be done first. How do you, do you get strike that balance and really allow for a great team dynamic?
0: Yeah, I, I think that it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Um, you know, I was reading on uh, Tim Cook as profiled in Fortune magazine uh, on, as, as one among the world's greatest leaders. You know, and several of the leaders quote that as, as, as that's an everyday challenge is to get everybody aligned, be it uh, aligned with your vision, your values, your business objectives, your specific goals. And I think that, that uh, from my perspective, it's, we, we went through, for example, an integration last year, and it was major. We were integrating Union Bank with Bank of Tokyo Mitsubishi in the Americas. And it was a major integration. And so within human resources, we had to align, we had to integrate two HR organizations in very short order that involved you know, lots of, of HR professionals, um, all very talented, but we had to bring them all together in different locations, different time zones, all with a singular goal, which was to integrate to our new bank by July 1st of last year. And so I think that um, you know, setting the very clear objectives, role clarification, clear milestones, accountability, expectations, communication—you uh, cannot under—it's it, impossible to over communicate in a situation like that. But then also, you know, one thing that comes to mind is, is to be very is is—and and this is something within our culture that this you know you can't be avoided but that this this notion of inclusion is to to build these teams set your sights on a shared goal uh, but in the process be very inclusive and that, that that actually is one of our six core values at our bank and that's something that all the leaders at our, our bank take very serious and are and are held accountable to perform against i think my final point on this is 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 not to not to um, underestimate the criticality of really strong project management and project management skills. Regardless of how big or small the goal, you know, there can be some audacious goals, some gigantic goals, but also, you know, some some smaller goals. And you can scale a project management plan accordingly. Um, So I think that that's very important as well.
1: You know, when I was listening to you respond, one of the things I was thinking about was: first, you're saying the things that you know I would expect you to say. Not that I would have been able to have thought of all the things that you said, but all the things you said made sense. They were all, you know, exactly. In the right direction about this communication and inclusion and pro- I mean project management is huge. Uh, if you if you're a great project manager, you could probably have a, you know a great job the rest of your life if, if you want to focus on that. Pe- companies always need uh, people who can do that skill. It's, it's it's not for everybody, but is there ever a time or a place when one of the skills is knowing when maybe how to pick the right people? you know i I've started this vision of a baseball manager deciding what the lineup is, and I, mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes it's something that people don't talk about um, that sometimes you have to pick the right people for that job or you have to know when to pull somebody out and say you need to go to a different team or maybe you don't need to work for our team anymore. How much of that is a part of that process in being successful?
0: Oh, I think it's it's absolutely critical. I could not agree more with you on that. I think you know I look at my role as a talent scout, and it's not just about bringing external talent to our bank, but it's also, for example, about building teams within our bank, you know, cross-functional teams. And so, like any coach or leader, um, you need to identify the skills that you need on your team. Do you need an outfielder, a catcher, a pitcher? You know, who do you need, and you build the team accordingly. I learned a very important lesson, i got to tell you, very. I still remember it, and it's been 20-plus years ago, but when I was a newly appointed manager, leader, at, at Arthur Anderson, one of the, at the time, the big six accounting firms, I was now, overnight, the director of recruiting, and, you know, in, for, the, for the West region, we had to hire a 1,000, let's just call it a 1,000 college students to start between October and December. Wow. And you, and you did not miss I mean this was how the this is how the professional services firms um, generate revenue and so it was a thousand it wasn't 999 or worse than that would be to overhire. It was thousand people and so okay, well I set the goal. We had leads for all of our you know 30 plus universities and colleges spread among seven states. And I thought, okay, there, there's that's the goal, that's the shared vision that we're all striving towards, you know. And we had 100 plus people that would execute on that. What I failed to take into account um, was was role clarity. For example, in terms of, okay, what we'll use Southern California as an example. How many of those thousand hires are we going to recruit from? how many Trojans versus Bruins, you know, USC versus UCLA, right? <laughs> right, right. And so, and I didn't, re, I did not, I, as I failed to take into account that people are, you know, competitive. And so, especially when you have an affinity towards your, towards where you went to school. Right. And so, um, so we had to then, so, so then had to break down that goal into sub-goals and then provide a clear and direct road map. And then incent and motivate and inspire people to, um, yes, there's this common goal, but to get there, we've got to hit these sub-goals. And that's exactly what we did, and that was an enormous lesson learned for myself.
1: Yeah, how do you find the right people, not just the people who who look like you, who talk like you, went to the school like you, or whatever it may be, Well, that's because they're competitive or because they are, well, lazy is the wrong word, but, you know, it, it's comfortable, To pick people that you feel like, you know, somehow resemble you um, in some way. But yeah, uh, then you end up with, like you said, too many Trojans or not enough Bruins or certainly not enough Anteaters. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. Well, I was hoping you could tell us. We always want to ask all of our guests this question. It's one of our favorite uh, questions to ask. And that is, uh, what are you reading right now?
0: Oh God! Well, I mentioned one. It's it's uh, it, it's one of I have two favorite epis or uh, editions of Fortune. One is the annual best places to work. I read that many times and study it um, intensely, as well as the one that's on the stands now, which is the the most effective leaders, the greatest leaders. Um, I think it's just fascinating, and there's always always tremendous insight and lessons learned. But I think that if you were to look at my nightstand at, at home, it would it, uh, I'm actually reading Living the Simple Life. Um, that's just where I am in life. I'm trying to right. simplify. Um, very pro- simple but profound messages. And then I'm looking here on my, on my desk and, and actually I'm rereading uh, Good to the Core. Um, and it's, it's, as the name suggests, about, about values and living your values and aligning your values. And it, it it is a wonderful uh, read, and that's by John Blumberg.
1: Well, those are certainly some great books or and magazines for for everyone to check out, and a lot of great uh, uh, bits of knowledge there. Certainly, uh, you can extrapolate. And it's it's kind of fascinating. You know, we love to get that feedback from what different people are reading, and kind of your interest in some of those different uh, areas are, are always. Uh, it's fascinating. Uh, we've had people. Give us the most, you know, typical, what you'd expect answers, and then we have, you know, these sort of variances like you're giving us, or people who are reading history books, or or those who have said, I'm taking a year off because I just can't read another business book and my head's going to explode, you know, <laughs> um, you know, those kinds of things, so... <laughs> Understood. (laughs) I uh, am sure, with as competitive of a labor market as you're seeing out there, uh, if anyone's interested in checking out a a career with uh, Union Bank or the other uh, uh, MUFG uh, affiliates and uh, companies, what would be the best place for them to see uh, to check that out and see where they might uh, fit in uh, on your organization?
0: Yeah, I would really encourage um, people to visit to visit our website which is um, mufG Americas so it's mufg americascom a wealth of information and there's also a, a convenient link to our our careers website as well and we have we have over a thousand positions at our bank right now it, it's um, it's a really exciting time i, I yeah, I'm trying to come through the phone line here so that you can. But it, it, to be in banking, it, it, it's there's no time like now to 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 come into banking. The challenge, the the career uh, opportunities, the development, the growth, it, it's it, it's really an exciting time in our industry. And invite people to explore those opportunities.
1: Well, and it's a stellar uh, thing I think that you brought up. I mean, I didn't even think about all those. Incredible innovations that have been happening in banking over the last few years. I mean, yeah. I think about just the evolution of several of the different financial apps that I use on my phone. Yeah. Um, from personal banking, business banking, I, I mean, it is incredible the amount of changes that have happened on that end, and the things I'm able to do um, that came, must have come from the technology and, and the innovation that's happening uh, there inside of a bank and it's not, uh, you know, I, that's the challenge you face every day that Not every position in a bank is a teller, that most of the positions are not, (laughs) and they probably what drives the the business and helps uh, the average customer have a really successful interaction uh, with their money.
0: Yeah, it's truly transformational. It's a very exciting time.
1: Well, that's about all the time we have for today, Uh, Scott. Thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, we hope to have you come back at some point. Give us an update on how how the bank's doing and uh, the, the unique challenges that you guys are facing.
0: I would love to, Chris. Thank you for having me. All
1: right. Thank you again to my guests, Mafalda um, Halligan and uh, Scott Shane. Tune in live uh, next week, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, my guests will be James Hamilton. He's the vice president of D- Delmonico Foods. And Kara uh, St- uh, Saletto, she's the founder and president of uh, Crescendo Strategies. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
0: You've been listening to Town Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.